Do you feel like the show's automatically biased because we do our sound check to Star Wars? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, like literally <laughs> the way we sync our audio is star. Wars. And then you say wars. Yep. It's literally like a pep rally for Star Wars. I'm like, I say star. You say wars. Star. Trek. Whoa, dude, Whoa. you messed it up. Get that person out of the audience. Get him out. Get him out. <laughs> Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Film Revere Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Amanda. And today's guest is VFX artist Tiffany Nicole Vochazer. But before we get to that, let's get into some industry news. Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen biopic, has replaced director Brian Singer. This is kind of interesting because they basically fired and replaced him. So Brian Singer was fired by Fox under the pay or play clause in his contract. And according to Variety's sources... Uh, this was due to Singer's repeated failure to show up to set. Also, uh, Rami Malek, who plays uh, Elliot in Mr. Robot, he plays Freddie Mercury in this film, and he was repeatedly complaining about Singer's lack of professionalism. At one point, cinematographer Thomas Newton Siegel had to actually step in and direct some of the days that Singer was missing. So not only was he not showing up to set, but he wasn't showing up to set like the entire day. And they're like, look, we got to get something. So get that cinematographer in that chair and let's direct this. Uh, Singer's claiming that he was taking time off to deal with one of his parents' health issues. That's, I guess, his claim against all of this. And this isn't even including the current sexual assault claims that are laid against him, which is a whole nother bag of bad news. So anyway, so two days after getting onto like him being replaced, so two days after... Singer's firing, Fox already hired a new director, which is Dexter Fletcher, who's known for Eddie the Eagle. So that's the director who's now going to be helming the Queen biopic. So yeah, that's a lot to throw at you, Amanda. But like, what are you thinking about all? Like, it's crazy week for Brian Singer. It's it's a lot to happen in one week, for sure. I mean, to be honest, I don't actually know too much about the new Queen biopic. <gasps> Do you know who Queen is, at least? Of course. Oh, my God. I just didn't know they were making a film about it. How about we talk about this? Ryan Reynolds will be voicing Pikachu in the upcoming live action Pokemon movie, Detective Pikachu. So What? Y yeah, I, I, I don't know how I feel about this, but all I'm imagining right now is Deadpool in a Pikachu costume. There has to be. I'm sure there's fan art out there already. Oh, well, honestly, I feel like it's something that Deadpool would do. So I'm not too surprised. Wow. Dead Kachu. There you go. It's a whole spinoff series where it's Deadpool trapped in Pikachu's body. I think I would watch that. I would. I, I just, It would sell tickets. Yeah, I mean, you got the whole sure. Pokemon world. You got Deadpool. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Um, but it, what else is out there? Is there any other real news about that movie? I feel like that's kind of gone under the radar until just now. There's really not a lot out there for it right now, as far as I can tell. Do you know anything that, that I don't know that you're allowed to say? Ah, uh, so yeah, no, nope. I, I don't know. 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 <laughs> let's let's move I, on, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's the hint, Amanda. Thanks for catching that. I'm over here freaking out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's move okay. on. But I am excited for the movie. That's all I'm gonna say. But yeah. So uh, another thing that was going on uh, during this week was SWAT and Westworld both had to shut down production due to the California wildfires. 
So apparently brush fires ignited uh, north of Los Angeles overnight on Monday and also into Tuesday, and they forced production shutdowns of both shows. Um, both of those shows shoot near Santa Clarita, and that's where the blaze sparked earlier Tuesday morning. And it grew up to be 200 acres just by 10.50 a.m. on Tuesday. So it's been kind of nuts. Um, HBO released a statement concerning Westworld saying, due to nearby wildfires, Westworld stopped production earlier today and will resume filming as soon as it's safe to do so. Uh, there's been no update as to whether or not either show has started production up again. Just an interesting side note, by the way. The 2017 California wildfire season has been one of the most destructive on record. It's currently, let's see here, a total of 8,700 fires have burned 1.2 million acres of land. Oh, my God. Well, you know, this is all because California had just come out of the drought in the last, you know, year or two years. Have they right? ever been not in a drought? I feel well, like it's kind of constant. Well, yeah, but but I guess compared to how it's been in the last 10 years, they've considered California to be out of the drought. And I guess that's with all the new, Dang. you know, the new vegetation that's growing. So when the dry season comes along, there's so much more available to burn. Wow. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, that's going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. There's actually like, you know, I know this isn't what to watch, but this is actually a really interesting, relevant series to exactly what's going on right now. It's called Fire Chasers. It's a Netflix original series, and it actually documents all the wildland firefighters that operate in California. It's a really good documentary series, really well filmed. Uh, definitely check that out. I know that's kind of not really what to watch, but it's relevant, so I'm going to go with it. But what else is in the news? Let's go back to the news. All right. Well, have you uh, have you heard of The Shape of Water? Guillermo del Toro's yeah. new flick? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't... That old thing? I think that it's it's just all over the news right now, but... As of right now, it leads Critics' Choice for film nominations. Uh, really? There are 14 mentions, including Holy Best crap. Director, Best Actress, and Best Sci-Fi slash Horror Film. Dang. Really getting the top ones there. Yeah, it has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, which I, you know, maybe that doesn't say a lot. I think it does. I mean... I under, it aggregates all the different reviews from different uh, review sites, so I can understand its importance in that. Um, I don't know. It, it sometimes is relevant. Sometimes it's like, to be fair, I guess it's really just to deal with reviews. You know, sometimes reviewers are a little bit more critical than, you know, the actual movie deserves. Because sometimes you'll see like a really biased, like it'll be like 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. But then the user score is like 95%. It's like something's wrong here. But for the most part, it's pretty accurate. I think in this case, it probably is accurate. I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro. I'm not surprised by that. I, I think so, too. I mean, if you just type in The Shape of Water into Google, you will see so many different articles, so many reviews, critiques, everything, just about how good the movie is. Yeah, no, I, that's definitely one that I want to see really bad. Um, also, you know, this past Monday, 20 films, speaking of awards, 20 films were officially selected to move forward in the visual effects category for the 90th Academy Awards. Uh, the panel is going to be selecting about 10 films. Well, it'll, it'll be the top 10, uh, and that's going to be uh, later this month. But for now, the top 20 have been mentioned. Amanda, do you want to read that list for the listeners just so they can see if maybe one of their favorite films got on that category yeah. list? Yeah, sure. So the, the 20 films that have advanced are 
Alien Covenant, Beauty and the Beast, Blade Runner 2049, Dunkirk, Ghost in the Shell, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Jumanji, Justice League, uh, Kong, Skull Island, Life, Logan, Oakjaw, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, The Shape of Water, Spider-Man Homecoming, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Thor Ragnarok, Valerian and a City of a Thousand Planets, War for the Planet of the Apes, and Wonder Woman. Man, that is one heck of a list. There's a lot in there. I mean, like, the top four domestic box office performers were nominated in that list. I mean, you have Beauty and the Beast, which is sitting at $504 million total domestic right now. You have Wonder Woman that had $412 million earnings domestic. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, $390 million. You have Spider-Man Homecoming, $334 million. I mean, these were all massive hits. And also heavily visual effects oriented, so it doesn't really surprise me there. What would you say your pick for best VFX would be? Well, I haven't seen all of these movies, so it's hard to say. Uh, also, you mentioned that they're very visual effects heavy movies. Just because it's it's filled with visual effects does not mean that they are good visual effects. Now, I feel like all these movies... You know, I did like a lot of them, the ones that I did see, but I do feel like they just threw a bunch of names on a list. That's that's how I felt about it. There's a lot here that I don't necessarily feel should actually be here. Who deserves to be on that list the most? <clears throat> Who's going to win? From what I saw, I think maybe Blade Runner 2049. I really enjoyed that movie and the visual effects. Okay, well, I, it's still out in theater, so I don't want to spoil anything, but there's some face replacement stuff. That is arguably the best I've seen so far in film. So I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, I'm going to have to say my pick, if I had to choose, is going to be War for the Planet of the Apes. And it's just because it's like such a great franchise so far. Like they've obviously rebooted it now. And it's just so interesting to see the like the growth that the industry itself has like had since the first you know reboot came out because visually they're just getting to the point where Uncanny Valley, which is basically you know an animated you know uh, CG person, uh, looks so real that you get into this weird Uncanny Valley where it's like you can tell something slightly off because it's fake, but it's so real that it just kind of leaves you with this odd feeling. But that's, that's not a good thing. Well, no, but I'm saying like that's what Uncanny Valley is. But what I'm right. saying is they've progressed to the point now where I'm not sure I ever felt that there was an Uncanny Valley in that film. Like it is pretty superb. I feel like they've actually been able to get more emotion out of a performance than the actual performance itself. And I'm not discrediting the performance, but I mean, it's just it's insane. There's obviously like there's a clip. We'll put it in the link dump of Andy Serkis performing as line as Caesar and it kind of morphs into the actual final composite of him as Caesar in the film. And it's insane. Like, it just looks like it morphed into a, another video, but that character on screen is completely fake. You have an entire, like, main cast, for the most part, that's not even on screen. Um, but yeah, my, my choice would be War for the Planet of the Apes. I think it's a solid choice. There are some pretty big competitors in there in that category that do deserve to be on that list. That are going to be some pretty hard competition. Um, I mean, you know, Star Wars hasn't even come out yet. So, 
All right. Well, I guess kind of going away from from visual effects and more into the producer side of things, uh, Ava DuVernay is to receive the Producer Guild's Visionary Award uh, in 2018. So if you don't know who she is, she was the director for uh, such films as 13th, the Queen Sugar series, Middle of Nowhere, and Selma, which is pretty interesting. She is the first African-American woman director to have a film nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. She is also the first African-American woman to direct a movie with a budget over $100 million, and that is Disney's A Wrinkle in Time, which is coming out in 2018, I believe. She also started a nonprofit collective for the distribution and amplification of films by people of color and female filmmakers. Her IMDb has hundreds of credits on many different films and, and projects where she's doing anything from miscellaneous crew to director to producer to writer to actress. Basically anything you can do on a movie, she's probably done it at some point. I think it's incredibly exciting that, you know, all of this work that she has done is kind of it's finally being noticed. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's huge, obviously. And it, it, I mean, from what you've told me, and I mean, obviously I've followed her as well. I mean, she's been involved in some amazing films. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, it seems incredibly well-deserved. I agree. So definitely good choice. Good choice for sure. All right. So moving off of the news and into the trailer drops over the past week, I want to talk about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. That trailer dropped in a big epic prehistoric way that was uh, a little force but you know whatever uh, thanks for the thanks for the one. laugh thanks for humoring me one, i tried so i tried so hard should have been a comedian anyway so given the trailer um from what we can tell it takes place at jurassic world's now destroyed theme park and luxury resort four years after the events unfolded from the first film you have owen and claire returning with a crew to save dinosaurs from the islands once dormant but now active volcano Owen is also driven to find Blue, his lead raptor, who is still missing. And when they arrive, all hell breaks loose and their expedition uncovers a new conspiracy. It's basically Jurassic Park meets Dante's Peak. And for the listeners who don't know Dante's Peak, because it is kind of an older film I just referenced there, not so popular. Dante's Peak was a film that starred Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton. And Brosnan's character basically moves into a small town near a dormant volcano, only to have it erupt shortly after his arrival. Well, wow. Dinosaurs with that, basically. So also another side note. In the trailer, we have Jeff Goldblum returning to the film, and he gives a chilling speech to the in some government meeting saying, these creatures were here before us, and if we're not careful, they'll be here after us. He also repeats the famous line, though shortened, life cannot be contained. Life breaks free, and uh, life finds a way. Do you think the trailer might be giving away a little bit too much? Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't know. We know everything up until how it ends. Great. So I can probably skip the first half of the movie and just jump. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm actually really excited to see this. Okay. But at <laughs> lay the same it on time, him. Lay it on him. You tell I'm him. A, you tell him, I, Amanda. I kind of regret seeing the trailer. I shouldn't have seen the trailer. I should have just skipped it and just gone straight to the movie. I don't know, man. It's just like, if I'm being honest with you here... I'm kind of disappointed yeah. because it just seems like such a, uh, 
Well, this could be damaging, but screw it. It just seems like a very safe studio choice. They're like, look, Jurassic Park is awesome, but <laughs> there's only so many times we can go to a park that just goes wild. So let's just return back and then save the dinosaurs that tried to kill everybody because there's a volcano. You know what I mean? It's just like such a weird pitch. Yeah. I can only imagine that elevator pitch. Like, look, we got Jurassic Park. All right, you got my attention. All right. Awesome. You like it? Cool. Now there's a volcano and it's erupting. Save the dinosaurs. Like, love it. Here's $100 million plus. Make that movie happen. Make us money. Well, you know, so many people are going to go see it. So I'm going to see it. (laughs) Like, as much as I'm I'm critiquing it, I'm still going to go see it. You know, I mean, I like Chris Pratt a lot. He's a terrific actor. Um, But yeah, I mean, to be fair, Jurassic Park has kind of gone into the realm of. Not so much campy, but just expected, predictable, I guess, a little bit. Um, Very generic. But it generic, doesn't make it any less entertaining. I would say. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So, but it's still going to be awesome. It's still going to be a lot of really awesome dinosaurs. I did hear that there are going to be a couple new ones, as per usual. Again, predictable. But I think it'll still be a really great film. It's definitely going to perform well. Um, but, yeah, I think visually it's going to be cool. The dinosaurs look really good. So, overall, the effects look pretty awesome in the trailer. So nothing too blatantly obvious, which is good. Netflix is releasing a new series uh, called Altered Carbon. So that uh, that trailer just dropped and it's an actual series. It's not just a film. So, you know, you get to binge watch something new, which I'm excited about. And always need something to binge. Oh, yeah. It introduces the ability to transfer consciousness into a new body when you die. So it's based on the award-winning novel by Richard K. Morgan, and it's a very, uh, like, cyberpunk science fiction themed. Yeah, I could see that. I, it was it, It's an interesting trailer. It's definitely worth watching. Um, it's kind of interesting because, like, it starts off, like, really clean and kind of, I don't know, it's, like, very neat and very safe. But then it just comes into, like, these weird horror vibes, like... It's definitely going to be a sci-fi horror show. Like, it's... Because, I don't know, man. It's really unnerving. Like, there's a lot of jump cuts in there that's just, like, some freaky stuff. I mean, again, the story alone is... It's... She... Okay, Amanda, you put that really well. You're, like, transferring human consciousness. Like, that sounds nice, right? But what it really is, is basically transferring someone's mind into a human sleeve. Yep. And that's what they call them. They call them sleeves. Yo, there you go. So yeah, as creepy as that sounds is as creepy as it looks, okay? Like, it's disturbing. I'm definitely getting some Blade Runner, Ghost in the Shell vibes. Also, getting some of the video game uh, Killzone vibes in that. When when this first, when I first saw this trailer, I immediately thought, oh, is this a Black Mirror episode? Because Dude, it right? kind of seems like it. But also, I mean, kind of going back to what you said about how the beginning seems so clean and then it kind of got messy. Well, I got this this vibe in the beginning of like, oh, is is this like a commercial? This is a commercial. OK, this is a commercial. Right, yeah. for, it, right, it, it was for, like a, someone hacked a commercial. Yeah. Right. And then and then it kind of went into kind of more of what the story is about. Now, it's definitely, you know, something that I would binge watch. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, it comes out on February 2nd, 2018. There's going to be 10 episodes. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, cool. So yep. it's soon and 10 episodes. Uh, do you have any idea what the runtime is, 30 minutes or an hour? I don't know. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I tried looking it up, but but I, I couldn't 
Uh, yeah. It's still relatively new, anything. but I mean, either way, I'm a binge it. it. It looks cool. I I always like the world that Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell kind of create, like that futuristic. It's almost like familiar, but then also has like that new future look to it as well. It's almost as if like you threw the future on top of the old world, essentially. It's like a really cool look. So another film, speaking of kind of like these futuristic type films in that vein, was Alita Battle Angel. I don't know. This seems kind of interesting. This was uh, the trailer dropped. I don't think anyone had heard to it had been mentioned before, but there's been a lot of years that have passed since its initial, you know, mentioning. Um, but the trailer features live action clips mixed with CG characters. Uh, the lead character, Alita, is played by Rosa Salazar, who performed a role in a motion capture suit. It's an interesting premise. She is part human, part machine, and she's in a world where machines with human like features exist. But from what I've seen, those other machines ain't exactly friendly, and they're all trying to kill Alita. So it's it's kind of crazy. Like, there's a huge cast involved in this. You have Christoph, uh, Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Connelly, Moonlight's uh, Marishala Ali, Michelle Rodriguez, and a bunch of other people. Um, speaking of uh, the cast, the filmmakers involved in this are insane. You have Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron, and then also uh, Leda, I don't know how to say this person's name, but Leda Caligridis, uh, they all wrote the screenplay for the film, and it's based on the manga series called Gunnam by Japanese artist Yukito Kishiro, uh, also the similar title, Alita Battle Angel. Um, I don't know, like, it looks really cool. Cameron, originally when he wrote this, it was a 186-page script with 600 pages of notes, man. You think that you are super organized and hypercritical? Uh, that's on a whole nother level. 600 wow. pages of notes? That's insane. That's almost, <laughs> that's almost as many notes I had for this podcast. Wow. Yeah. Dang, look at you. You know what? That's the kind of care... And, you know, respect that Amanda Beals has for the Film Revere podcast. Okay, listeners, appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, he's essentially wrote like four films in just his notes alone. Um, he then gave all those notes and the page, like the actual script itself to Robert Rodriguez to clean up, which, man, that's a tall order. Hey, can you do me a favor? Go through like a thousand pages worth of content and find a movie in there somewhere. Um, but he did. And after he saw what Rodriguez achieved, he wanted him to direct the film. So that paid off for Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Cameron said in a 2015 announcement of the film that he's very collaborative or that Rodriguez is very collaborative and we're already like two kids building a go-kart, just having fun riffing creatively and technically. This project is near and dear to me. And there's nobody I trust more than Robert with his technical virtuosity and rebel style to take over the directing reins. We're looking forward to learning a lot from each other while we make a kick-ass epic. Honestly, it's pretty cool. Um, it's weird. It's like they almost went more CG with the character so that you know that she's CG um, to avoid the uncanny valley as opposed to trying to make it look as real as possible because she's very stylized and almost like an animated kind of way, like an animated feature. Well, she looks like a like a Disney character, but like yeah. live action. Yeah. Which, I mean, it looks pretty cool, actually. Like, I, I really wasn't put off by her look. I, I really like those those big anime eyes that they gave her yeah right yeah they definitely did that 
I, ironically enough, I got some Dora the Explorer vibes, which is oh my kind God. of weird. I see like, it. I totally see it I don't feel like now. you're going to, now that I've said, I don't feel like anyone who sees that trailer, if they've heard this podcast, is going to unsee that. No. It's literally like Dora the Explorer with like, mixed with a cyborg, man. Oh my like, God. Dora the Explorer got fed up exploring and went full robot and on a killing spree. I see so, it. I'm never going to unsee the world. this. Thanks, Zach. But, you know. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't see the monkey in there, though. Not yet. Maybe that's maybe that's like a hidden, you know, fun little Easter egg they throw in there. Yeah, maybe. Oh, maybe. my God. Can you imagine she just turned to the camera and was like, Miyamo, and like waited for the audience to respond? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so ridiculous. Uh, uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. This is a very serious film, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like those are some pretty big filmmakers to be involved. I mean, you got Cameron and Robert Rodriguez. I'm really excited right? to see what where they I mean I, I love how he's got the time to do this yet still helming Avatar's franchise which I believe oh they're doing God. four other films right now in Atlanta they're filming they them all really? back to back Oh my god I goodness. think it's literally going to be four Avatar films like he's just like we're there we're ready let's do four let's roll <laughs> get them out so, um, what other trailer dropped? I think there was another one by yep. Sony I think dropped yeah. a really cool trailer. Yeah, Sony Pictures Animation actually just dropped the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse animated uh trailer it's a teaser trailer it looks really interesting to me they kind of uh brought this idea of um multiple spider-men in one universe you know i I don't really know much about the spider-man comics is that something that they did do you know zach Uh, i feel like it honestly i don't know enough either to be clear on that but i can tell you enough that i am pretty sure that that's miles morales that's at least the lead spider-man in the film yes yes Uh, it does look like and it is a film that's another thing too it's like it's a film like it's getting a theater release it's not like a straight to dvd like it's actually coming out in theaters which is pretty cool um but i you know something like kind of just going off of just the look of it in general was it almost i'm getting like a vibe of a lot of mixtures of not only spider-man but also animation styles like there's yeah. a lot of moments in that trailer where it's almost like a weird stop motion kind of feel to it where it seems like everything's been keyframed meticulously and then also you get like a mixture of like realistic cars in one of the scenes but then a hyper stylized soft shell shaded spider-man flying through them right and um, and yeah it just it has also like these aspects of of comic book but then there's like this really graphic you know uh like painterly feel almost, which actually brings me, you know, to talk about this. I know that one of the artists uh, who created the color script for the film, his name is Zach Retz. He's an artist that I've been following for years. Uh, it looks like really? his style. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, like I, it's, it's really cool. I mean, obviously it's an animated feature, but at the same time, stylistically the way that they chose to do some of the shots man like on the screen there's this amazing scene it's not really spoiling anything but he basically jumps off of a building and he's falling but then the camera is almost like going up as he's like he's going up towards the top of the screen so it kind of flips it upside down as he's falling and you just see the skyline upside down and it's just like him and this big open sky you know, in the middle and bottom of the screen, like it's just so visually amazing. Like it's just super impressive. Like, I don't know. It's very appealing. It looks I, awesome. I think it, yeah, I think it looks really appealing. I think it, I think it looks beautiful. I think it looks well done. I, you know, I, I don't generally like super graphic, you know, animated style. And that's why I don't watch a lot of anime, but 
for this, I don't know. I, I'm really looking forward to this movie. All right, so we are going to take a little break. Uh, coming off the trailer drops here, as you know, we like to take a nice little music break. But when we get back, we are going to come back with our guest. She is an immensely hardworking and gifted visual effects artist. Her first job in the industry had her move across country from Florida to California for a two-week contract. Since taking her first job one year ago, Tiffany has worked on 17 television shows and nine feature films. Her most notable work includes Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, and Get Out. always been kind of touted as a really bad team but we've been playing so good the last you know five years and Mm -hmm. it's just you know but we're not getting it to the next level you know it's just kind of like you know good but then mediocre you know so um. well welcome to the show i'm super happy to have you on you are our second guest Uh, i you know i like to start off interviews just kind of like asking what basically made you decide to get in the industry? And in your case, you're a visual effects artist. What made you decide on that kind of a career? Well, really, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I mean, I I spent my 20s working desk jobs, you know, insurance and call centers. And I think I just grew kind of comfortable with that. And, um, you know, I've spent, you know, since I was 16, wanting to be a photographer as well. And so I kind of had, I felt like I had that artistic eye and also a lot of experience with software because I was working in Adobe Photoshop all the time. Um, you know, I, I started listening. I know, uh, you are a big Kevin Smith fan as well. So I, I was (laughs) listening to his podcast all the time and, you know, I had heard about the Dave school you know, for a few years before it all of a sudden clicked in my head that was like, you know, I could probably do something like that. You know, it kind of takes my creative eye, my love for working in a desk all the time, you know, my <laughs> in the dark affinity. To, yeah, exactly. In the dark, <laughs> in a dungeon. Yeah. Uh, stuck to a desk for eight to 10 hours a day. So it just, you know, I mean, it kind of all you know, came together like that. It was just kind of a click. And I was like, you know, I think I can do that. And I had family in Orlando, so it kind of worked out to, uh, yes. Yeah. I had someone to stay with for a little bit until I was able to get my own place, you know, and then, you know, start the school. So, yeah. Very cool. I find it interesting. I remember like, cause you know, for the listeners, we originally were in classes together and then I had to repeat a block, but, uh, it's funny. Cause like in orientation, they asked like, how did you hear about Dave school? Did you mm-hmm. hear about us by Google searching or, you know, yada, yada. But Dave School's marketing program, they do sponsor a lot of podcasts. And both Tiffany and I actually heard about Dave School through Kevin Smith. So I think it's just kind of interesting. Right. That that's how we I do remember that. Yeah. On the first day, both of us said that. We were like, yep, Kevin Smith fan, heard about yeah. it there. Yeah, marketing so. paid off for at least two students. Uh, how, so how did you get your foot in the door? Like once you graduated the school or before that? Um, well, I started applying for jobs about a month before school was over, a month before we were supposed to graduate. And another student um, had already gotten a job. And so I was like, you know, I need to really get on the ball. And I'm just kind of, I'm that type of person, you know, I'm very tenacious when it comes to things like that, you know. And so I just start applying and applying and applying and applying and applying. And 
two weeks, two weeks after I started applying, I got a reply. Um, two weeks, from, killing it. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, and the studio is just like, yeah, we're interested, and we'd like to bring you out for um, you know a two week two week trial and see how you do. And that was actually, um, well, let's see. I guess sorry. I guess it was like a month and a half before because I got a reply two weeks after. And then they wanted me to come out two weeks after that. So I had two weeks to like get everything together. Oh and that gosh. was actually two weeks before I graduated too. So thankfully the Dave school was kind enough to sit down with me and figure out how I was still going to be able to graduate, even though I wasn't even able to go to graduation. Wow. Yeah. That would have been so, ironic. Yeah. I didn't even graduate this program that gave me the skills to get the job, but, uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. So two weeks notice essentially for a two week job. Yeah. Now, yeah. you were in Orlando, Florida at Dave's school. Where was this job located? Uh, Los Angeles. Wow. So how exactly was that move? Like, was that difficult, getting everything ready to basically move across country at that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was um, living with my boyfriend, currently my fiance. Congratulations. And thank you very much. And, um, he, you know, we had an apartment in Orlando together. And so he, he actually ended up having to stay behind for a couple of months. Oh, that's rough. Um, yeah. Why I moved out there. And so it, it made it, I mean, at least I didn't have to pack up the entire place in two weeks, you know, but I did have to find a place to live, you mm -hmm. know, how I was going to get around and all of that. That was all, it was very difficult, you know, but I had a lot of really great support from the teachers at the school, you know, telling me, you know, you can do this and, you know, it's a great opportunity. Don't give it up, things like that. So I think it was just like a combination of a lot of encouragement um, to do that, you know, but yeah, it was definitely one of the hardest things I've done because I had been to Los Angeles once in my life and I was 12. So oh, like wow. there was really no, you know, I had never ridden public transportation before. Um, I ended up staying in an Airbnb. Uh, it was actually a boarding house. So like multiple people oh, were wow. living in this house, you know, so, but you know, I'm very much a do what you got to do type of person, you know, and it worked out, you know, I was able to stay you know, at, you know, live in that place for a few months and before, you know, my fiance and I got in our own place. So yeah, I mean, it was okay. It was not the funnest thing in the world, but yeah, I, you know, and another thing too, I mean, I got to imagine that, you know, him having to stay behind. I mean, obviously you're already motivated as an artist who wants to make it in the industry, but also it's like, all right, we're putting our relationship through some stress here. So right. I really need to make sure that this works. So it's almost like added motivation which definitely obviously paid yeah. off. I mean, you've been involved in 26 projects to date, unless you got something else you're working on. I don't know about, I mean, it wouldn't surprise um, me. No. You're very busy. I think, I think it's all up to date right, right now. Um, okay. uh, since you and I had spoken last, wow. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, all right. So 26 projects, you have to have at least one or two favorites. Probably my favorite one that I've worked on so far was probably Spider-Man Homecoming, oh. probably because that was my first like big blockbuster, you know, that was coming out, you know, is my first time at this studio that I work at now, Luma Pictures. And I think just all around. Yeah, it was a fun thing to get into. You know, um, we had the bulk of the shots for for the entire film, you know, and yeah, it was just, it was really fun, you know, and it was fun to see. And, you know, so yeah, I think that one was probably my favorite. 
That's got to be so crazy. I mean, again, for the listeners, you've only been active for what, a year and a half? Uh, a year. Yeah. A year, um, in September, Jeez. just over a year. Yeah. So I, wow, man. Like that again, it's just a case. Cause initially, like when we first talked, I was like, Oh, she's been, I guess I just figured you got a job. And I just, in my mind it was like two years ago total. And then you're like, no, 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 no. It's less time than that. And then now, and I thought it was a year and a half and now it's literally only been a year and a couple months. My God, woman. Yeah. I and you're and working on Spider-Man like homecoming. And, yep. Well, you worked yep. on it. And I mean, now you're working on a bunch of other projects. Uh, geez, what a career. Yep. Just finished up Thor and we're finishing up Black Panther now. So, Good yeah. God. It's been good. Does that blow you away in a little bit? Just in the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, I'm more, I, I mean, to me, it's crazy. I mean, I know when I worked at my first big picture, I was like, holy crap. It's kind of yeah. weird just to say like, oh, yeah, I worked on that. And like here you are. I mean, you've just got this catalog of massive television shows and now future films. Does that just kind of like blow you away sometimes? A little bit, definitely. Yeah, I, I I enjoy actually going and seeing it. You know, I think that was probably one thing that I love so much about Spider Man is you know I got to see it with you know a bunch of people I worked with and you know, I mean, just kind of seeing since we did have the bulk of the movie, just seeing all of these different things, like all of the cool stuff that we did, you know, mm -hmm. and being so proud, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's one of those odd things where it's like, if you work at a studio, you pretty much don't care about spoilers anymore because it will more than likely be spoiled <laughs> for you. But it's also yeah, funny because you see things a lot of times out of order, like you'll see full sequences, but a lot of times it's just like, OK, this is one scene that happens like 20 minutes in and oh, this is the opening. I, di I didn't even know. Like yeah. we worked on The Strain, I think was my first like televised uh, job. And I remember working on the scene. I'm like, man, this is an epic scene. This must be like towards the end. And when the episode aired, it was the cold open. It was literally the first scene. I'm like, oh, didn't even know. So yeah, kind of interesting. Exactly. To see it all together. What does your family yeah. think about that? Do they like um, brag about you a lot or are they just like, eh, whatever you're, I got to imagine it's gotta be kind of crazy. Yeah. I think both of the, you know, both of my parents, at least they, um, they definitely, you know, they're always like, Oh, I was telling everybody about you. Oh, I went out here and I was telling everybody about you. I'm like, you don't even know those people. You were talking to the gas station attendant. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> that's when you but know they're, they're really proud. proud. And, yeah, exactly. And you know, that's fine, but it was, it can be a little awkward. I, you know, but all good. It's fine. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. Uh, let's see. What do you, I guess, what do you love most about working on a show? You know, I, I guess I'd have to say, you know, the final product, you know, I mean, cause when you're like really deep into something, especially now, I mean, I, I worked on TV before and it was so fast paced and, you know, I mean, we get an episode a few weeks before the episode was actually going to air. So like, it was just so fast paced that I didn't, really get in deep to anything, you know? And I think with the films that we work on, you know, we're so, we spend so much time with it that seeing the outcome of it, you know, seeing it all put together, kind of like what you were saying. I mean, I, I don't really know what the movie is about. I know people have asked me that. Someone asked me that on Twitter uh, <laughs> about Spider-Man. They're like, oh, can you give me any spoilers? I'm like, for one, no. Okay, like, like, like absolutely job. not. I'd like to keep yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> even if I did know anything, like, no, I couldn't tell you anything. But, like, I see little bits and pieces of stuff, and I don't even get any audio. I'm not sitting here, like, professing to know what the entire movie is about. But, you know, definitely I think – 
you know, when we all get together and we actually get to sit down and see, you know, everything and I can, you know, nudge my fiance and be like, Oh, I worked on that. I worked on that. You know, I think that that's probably the best part because it's hard. You know, you know that like, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you just, you know, (laughs) click a button and it's done. No, you know, it's hard stuff and it's not, you know, it's not all the time enjoyable, but you know, I mean, you know, just as well as I do, we love our job, you know? So. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting that you mentioned the click the button. We, we actually touched on that last week's episode. We were talking about how Seth Rogen went to bat for VFX artists and literally basically was making it seem like, look, it's not a button. There's all these teams involved. And, yeah. you know, he was going to bat against a uh, movie review vlogger who was just like, oh, blame the VFX teams if the VFX is bad, not the director. And it's like we get crazy deadlines because directors oftentimes think that, you know, it is just a click of the button, you know, or there is just right. a misunderstanding that it's a lot easier than it actually is. And that not thousands of people work on a single film. Um, exactly. So, and it's tough. Yeah. You know, obviously you don't, you know, we talk about like, well, you can't say certain things. And, uh, as far as like giving details, obviously we have to all sign NDAs as visual effects artists, but you right. know, it's just, it's a tough market. Um, it's very competitive. So you just try to, I don't know, go with the flow of things. Yeah. What's, uh, you know, going in, yeah, going in that vein, I guess like what's one of the most frustrating things that you've had to deal with just being a VFX artist? Um, well, I mean, you know, you kind of touched on some stuff. Well, I mean, I think getting thrown things that you weren't expecting or that, you know, maybe they don't realize like how difficult that might be or, you know, that's always going to be, I think, an issue because not everybody who is giving back notes has done what we've done, you know, but just like you said, taking it with a grain of salt, going with the flow, you know, you're getting paid no matter what. So, you know, just do as best as you can and keep going. Um, I mean, other than that, I, I think, probably getting into a job, you know, I've worked in three different studios and I think getting into the job and figuring out what's most important to them, you know, mm-hmm. um, like in TV, it's you know usually fast paced, you know, they want fast and, and quality, you know, and you know, when I got into film and these big blockbuster things, they give you more time, but it's gotta be perfect, you know? So just figuring out how that works, what it is they want, you know, because you're not always able to ask the person who's looking at it, you know, I mean, they've got millions of things to do too. So yeah, I think that's probably been the hardest thing for me is, you know, finding out how much time I need to, I can spend on something or if it's like, okay, this needs to be out in two hours or at another studio, they might give you two days, you know? So yeah, yeah that that yeah, it, it is kind of crazy. Like sometimes you're given two weeks to work on something, and then you know another time you'll be given a shot, and they're like, "All right, cool. Here's these ten notes. You have an hour. I need to send this to the <laughs> yeah. client by four o'clock, and it's three. And it's like, holy crap. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got you. And then it's like you really just have to prioritize. It's like what is most important to this shot because obviously ten things aren't going to be addressed in that time. Plus you have all the render time, which is things that people don't mm-hmm. think about either. What's I guess you know right. speaking of what people don't think about, what's something that you wish the general public knew more about visual effects that might make it easier for you or just at least explaining oh. it? Um I think in general, I mean mean not easy for for me, but I think in general <laughs> like I I don't think people really know what visual effects are. 
like the majority of the time when someone asks me like, Oh, what do you do? I work in VFX or I'm a VFX artist. They're like VFX. I'm like, Oh, okay. I work in visual effects. They're like, like, what do you, what? Like, what what do you mean? I'm like, you know, like (laughs) movies, you know, like when, you know, Spider-Man is like on his, you know, little web thing and swinging around, you know, that's not really him doing that. Right. You know, I mean, I have to really explain it. I think that, you know, sometimes we do tend to be, um, a little bit of an unsung, I'm not going to say hero, but like a little bit of an unsung we're heroes. department. It's okay. It's okay. I'll say it <laughs> okay. for you. So you don't sound thank so bad, you, but you. we're heroes. All right. We save shows. Without I mean, us, for some of these films wouldn't be made. Would, would definitely not be made, you know, <laughs> or definitely look a whole lot different. You know, I just, I, I think that, uh, yeah, we're, we're a little, a little bit unsung, you know, when, movies are leaning more and more and more towards that all the time. You know, um, someday, you know, they're not going to have any need for anybody else, but us maybe, you Which know? So tough, it's like, right. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you bring that up, but I mean, that's, it is one of those things that even as myself, I mean, I'm leaning more into production these days, but you know, obviously my heart's still in visual facts. That's how I got my start in my career. But you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you want more people to know about you. Right. And you want people to understand and appreciate what you do. But at the same time, it is kind of a catch-22 because I think all artists know that, in a sense, if we do a really good job where we continue to pioneer the industry and our field, it could potentially make people lose jobs. Um, but I mean, that's change, you know, it's, it's one of those things you have to kind of rationalize. It is change. It's happened with 2d animators at Disney. I mean, you know, like those guys were used to drawing everything and then, you know, there was new technology coming about where it's like, either you learn how to do the new technology, you learn how to do these things, or unfortunately it's very easy to just get left behind. So obviously we're in the film industry. We are in the VFX industry, but that's part of the overall film industry. So you want everyone to be taken care of, but you know, artists, visual effects artists, especially we always kind of come into this knowing you always have to learn the next thing. There's always a new software. I think that people that are used to doing prop design or stuff like that, it's like, there's usually just a way to do it. You know, like that's just what Mm -hmm. you do. That's your craft. And yeah, you're learning how to do bigger projects, but at the same time, it's still the same methods. Whereas with us, I mean, right now, Nuke's all the rage, but it used to be yeah. After Effects, you know? So it's, and right. it's a totally different looking software. So you have to constantly stay on your toes. But real quick, keep you know, up. You, yeah, keep exactly. Up. You mentioned, um, you know, that you used to work in television. What was it like when you first got on a film for the first time? Like, was it just, I mean, I, obviously there's an excitement there and you mentioned that it's definitely a slower pace. I mean, what were some of the other differences between working on a television show and a film? You know, I don't know. I mean, there's really not much of a difference with the exception of that, you know, I mean, because a lot goes into that whenever it is about the pacing, you know, because then it's, you know, quality and things like that. Although I guess probably the biggest difference, and this is like purely based on me and not anybody else. Um, but you know, when I went over to Luma pictures, you know, uh, before I had been a compositor and I went over to Luma pictures and now I'm doing roto paint. So, I mean, that's been a little different. I've been able to just focus on that. But really, I mean, big picture wise, there's really not much of a difference. Yeah. And that also kind of just illustrates the difference, too, in itself. It's like, you know, here you are, you had worked on, I mean, a number of television projects 
as a compositor, it's not that you haven't proven yourself, but to a film degree, it's like, okay. And again, it's not that they're necessarily proving yourself. It's just like you saw that as a probably, I'm assuming, I mean, I'm speaking for you, but I'm assuming you saw that as a way to get in at Luma Pictures, which is a massive company, which congrats on that. Yes. Um, but, you know, that often does happen. You'll see someone that works in television and then, you know, they have to go and do a slightly different job, you know, to get into film. But to be yeah. fair, you are working on massive projects, though. Yeah. And it's still very yeah. similar to what you do as a compositor. Definitely. I mean, I, I had thought a lot about it beforehand because, you know, not every studio has a roto paint department. So, you know, smaller places, obviously you're going to be doing that as well. But, you know, when they hired me at Luma, they asked me if that was okay. You know, if I was taking a step down and honestly, roto paint is something that I struggled at, you know, mm -hmm. for a while because it is very technical. You know, it's like, if it doesn't look right, then it really doesn't look right, you know? And so when I, when I took the job, I knew that it was something that I needed to work on and I was okay with that. Um, you know, they do like to keep people around though too, which is nice, you know? And so they said it was always an option, you know, if, if I stuck around and they liked me and things went well, that I would move back up. But, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, this industry is definitely a day by day thing. You know, you can't, plan anything ever you know you just got to take it as it comes yeah i think it's like one of those people like most people in a career path they're always like all right you got a plan a and a plan b and as a artist it's like all right and i got a plan you know a through z because so many <laughs> different options could go wrong or affect one plan that you can't really just do the plan b you just have to kind of be prepared for everything um I mean, we've been asking some heavy questions, so let's kind of get into something a little bit, you know, lighter and more fun. I mean, you know, obviously, initially, it was very hard moving to L.A. and dealing with the housing situation just to make sure that you could be there for your job. But now that things have kind of settled a little bit, I mean, do you do a lot of fun stuff around the city? Have you been to any industry events? Um, well... I think most of the stuff, well, because my fiance and I, neither of us have cars right now. It's a really big bummer because everybody says, oh, you have to have a car in L.A. Well, <laughs> I've been able to get around in public transportation, although my commute is is like three hours a day. It's an Ooh. hour and a half there, hour and a half back. Yeah. So I'm fine with that, but that doesn't leave a lot of time for uh, – or, I mean, a lot of um, you know ability for us to get out and actually do stuff, you know? True. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we have done or, you know, that I've done is go to, um, you know, my Luma does a lot of events, a lot of, uh, parties, like they have a huge Halloween party every year where they usually invite like two to 300 people Dang. and, you know, they go all out with the Halloween party and, you know, so that's fun or, you know, we get together with them or actually there's a good number of Dave school students out here too. Oh yeah. You know, so I, I spend, you know, we'll go out and have a good time and, you know, um, industry events wise, I, I think really the only thing that I've been to is at Luma, the Marvel films that we work on, we get to go to a crew premiere for those. What? So it's not like the, yeah, it's not like the cast red carpet premiere or anything, but it's, yeah, um, usually anywhere from like three days to a week and a half before the film comes out, they Dang. get all, all the, you know, uh, the behind the scenes people that worked on it. You know, they go to a theater out in Westwood 
and uh, yeah, we get to see the movie. The uh, vice president of Marvel, she comes out and she talks. She's very motivational, you know, thanks everyone for their hard work. And then we get to see the film. So it's actually really cool. Um, I do very much enjoy getting to be around everybody who is excited about it, you know, excited to see it. So. Yeah, it definitely gets you hyped up. I know that a lot of studios, I mean, I'm currently working out at MPC of Vancouver, but I mean, they're not unlike any other studio that does like some kind of monthly, you know, little thing. And like, I know that we do monthlies here and without going into too much detail, there's, it's just, it's one of those things that it really kind of just riles everyone up and gets everyone like, you know, amped up for like the next month. It's like, awesome, man. I feel great. And I'm super excited to be in this industry and I'm super excited to just tackle the next month. And it's very easy to forget about the 80 plus hour weeks that you've been putting in during <laughs> right, the month. Exactly. Like, I'm not even worried about that because I love being in this. Like, it's, it's pretty cool. So it's definitely nice to yeah. kind of just feel appreciated, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Being around everybody that's doing the same exact thing that you're doing, putting in the same time that you're doing, you know, loving it as much as you love it. Yeah. It's really good to be around those people and then get the motivation from, you know, the people who are leading the pack, you know, so definitely. Yeah. I mean, what would be some advice that you would give for someone who is considering visual effects as a career or maybe someone who just recently graduated? Like, you know, what would you advise them to do to try and get their foot in the door? Um, well, I would definitely apply, apply, apply. Like I've made it a point to, I just, I apply at bigger places and I apply at places I've never heard of. Um, I've interviewed at places where there are only five artists, you know, I just, I think that that's a big thing. I mean, obviously the more you put out there, the more chance you have of it coming back. You know, when I applied for the job and got the job at Ingenuity Studios, uh, right out of school, I applied, I had applied to 22 different places and that job just so happened to message me back. Yeah. And, um, when my contract was up at ingenuity and I applied again, I applied for 33 places and, uh, total after I had, um, gotten my job at Luma cause I, I, I worked in another place for a month, gradient effects. And then I went to Luma pictures, after a month and total four places contacted me back out of the 33, you know? So it's just, it's a numbers game, you know, (laughs) like just do it, you know, just put it all out there. And really, I think one of my biggest pieces of advice is don't be afraid to take a leap. Don't be afraid to take a jump. Don't be afraid to move across the country, you know, just make it work because, you know, it's definitely obviously worth it in the long run, you know I mean? And if you don't, then you regret it. You know, I mean, you know that you've made those big jumps before, too, you know, so I definitely say that. Yeah. And I mean, especially in an industry that, you know, is constantly changing as far as like where the next big place to be. I mean, Atlanta over the years has blossomed into a massive, uh, you know, community for production and post-production. Now, Uh, most Marvel films are being filmed there in Atlanta. So, you know, it's definitely interesting. You're going to have to move probably unless you live in Los Angeles or you live in like one of those areas where you live close by, it might be possible not to, but realistically there are studios. Like you can find a studio in, you know, Montana. I'm sure there's probably at least one, but the biggest thing is we are contract basis VFX artists usually. So you don't necessarily want to move to a place or stay in a place where there's only one or two studios because it's like, if you can't, get a job at the other studio or you, you know, contract expires, they don't extend you. It's like, all right, well, you're going to have to move regardless. So moving to a place like Los Angeles, like you did, or in my case, Vancouver, 
um, which was equally a crazy move. You know, it's like pretty much similar distance, but it's like we both moved from Florida. We both, you know, got our jobs, fortunately enough, before we graduated. And it's like, okay, now I have to like move across the country uh, to get my job, but it pays off. I mean, we've had really great careers. I mean, Tiffany, I'm not going to lie. Your career's a little bit bigger than mine, as in like crazy bigger. <laughs> You've been really just going nuts. But I mean, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's great to see, you know, people that you know rise together. And I think that's another thing, too, is staying in contact with all these people. When you apply to all those places, your name is getting out there. And even though you may yes. not get a job, stay in touch with these people because they may want you later. I can't tell you how many times I applied for a job before I got at NPC. And they were like, yeah, you know, you're good, but it's just like mm, maybe down the road. Uh-huh. And then right, now yeah. it's like they're asking me, it's like, hey, you know, uh, are you free? When's your contract? Like, so it's it's very touch and go. Like, they'll come back yeah. around. So I really that. think that what people don't understand um, when they're applying for jobs, uh, and maybe they do, but this is like one of uh, a great piece of advice I got. And it was when I was in school, and I can't remember exactly which teacher said it. So oh, I feel man. really bad for any of them that, that might listen to this. I think it was actually a combination of all of them, and they were all yeah. just kind of giving us advice. But um, one of them said, it's not about when you're ready to get a job. It's about when the studio is ready to have you. So just because, you know, you are good enough to get on at NPC or Luma or double negative, just because you're good enough doesn't mean that they're ready to have somebody or they're ready to hire somebody. You know, they could be letting go of someone in two weeks, you know, and you're, you know, if you would have applied two weeks later, you know, so it's all about. You know, if you don't get that job that you want right away and you work someplace else, keep applying. Like, there's no point not to, you know. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously social media is a big aspect, too. I mean, more for networking would be LinkedIn. It's like if you can get in contact with these recruiters beforehand or even if you just slip, you know, say you're like, all right, cool. I just applied to double negative. Right. And it's like, but if you can add a, you know, recruiter on LinkedIn and then you mm-hmm. start talking to them more often, they're not the second you message a recruiter, they're going to be like, hey, you know, we're actually looking for artists. You should apply. It's like, then you go, oh, I actually already applied. And, you know, if, if blah, 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 you just start talking. It's like now right. you shot your application from the bottom of a pile of like 100 plus people to potentially the top because now they have uh-huh. a name and a face to you. So they're usually more than willing to talk to you. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, just. Yeah, get to know them. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more work than just the job itself. You have to be your own agent, essentially. Yep. So, all right. I'm going to ask you a couple easy questions, maybe a little bit hard, but definitely a little bit. I think they're easier. (laughs) What are your top three favorite films of all time? I'm not going to say one because that's hard, but three maybe. It's actually still very, very hard because... Well, it's, I don't even know if I could do that, but it's funny because my fiance makes fun of me all the time because I'll be like, oh yeah, like, oh, I found, I saw this movie. Yeah, no, that's like my favorite movie. It's one of my all time favorite movies. And I say that about so many movies because it's true. It's like completely 100% true. But, um, yeah. So top three, I'm not sure. I am a huge, huge, huge Star Wars nerd. Like I, I've loved Star Wars since I was 15. I was actually a little late to the game on that mm-hmm. one. Um, but yeah, I'm huge Star Wars nerd, huge Harry Potter nerd. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah. I love them. I watched the movies kind of not really growing up, but when they started coming out and then I read the books like in my twenties and absolutely fell in love. So, um, 
I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. So pretty much anything that he has to offer, I, I'm like mall rats chasing Amy and dogma are like my Holy trilogy pretty oh much. Gosh. So great. Movies. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't, I can't really pick and choose, but yeah, I'll, I'll throw those out there. So. I mean, that's great. I, it's, it's really interesting because it just shows that you love the film industry overall. It's not just visually effects yes. heavy, you know, films like obviously Star Wars and Harry Potter. It's like, yeah, man, those are some visual effects heavy franchises. But then you like Kevin Smith movies. And it's like, but, you know, say what you will about Kevin Smith. He's a great filmmaker, you know, and yes. he gets a lot out of a scene with dialogue. It's it's a different yes. kind of film, but they it's are a great writer. in their own way. Yeah. Right. And speaking of favorite filmmakers, aside from Kevin Smith, because I think that's pretty obvious, you have any other favorite filmmakers you might like or look up to? Uh, um, um, it's hard. It really sucks that I have to think about this so much. Um, I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna name a couple that because like my list of like favorite films spans like so many different things that like mm -hmm. narrowing down, like I, I can't say, Oh, I love that all of this person, you know, all of this person's movies. Um, but I mean, obviously I'm like a Spielberg fan, like, you know, the majority of his movies I've loved. I, I'm a later Quentin Tarantino fan. Um, which is really weird to say, cause I'm not very much <laughs> a fan of reservoir dogs or pulp fiction. I know like oh, a lot man. of people hate me for that. Um, my fiance is <laughs> wagging his fist at me right now. <laughs> I I'm just not, I've seen them numerous times. I've given them, I have both of them. I bought both of them on DVD. I, I just, and I'll still watch it. It's a weird thing. It's just, they're not my favorite. I'm, you know, I love kill Bill and inglorious bastards oh. and you know, Django Unchained and you know, a lot of it, Death Proof. I know that was an older one, but I still love that movie. You know, I, I feel like I, I just, you know, maybe I'm a little not on the more popular side of his films. I don't know. Um, really like weird one-off one. I'm, I really like, uh, recently Richard Linklater. Really? Um, I like simplicity, you know, and I've been really getting into a lot of character based stuff lately too. So, you know, less plot based, more really getting into characters. So I've seen the, like all the before movies with, um, uh, Ethan Hawke and, and love those. And, you know, I loved when he put out boyhood, but yeah, that was a crazy yeah. endeavor. Yeah. I, I'm just a little all over the place with that. You know, I, I tried to pick some directors and, and, creators who I like multiple things that they've done, I mm. guess. So, yeah. That makes sense. What was the first movie that you remember seeing or having an impact on you? Um, I'm not entirely sure of the first movie I remember seeing. Uh, well, I, I okay. Here's one. I do remember my first favorite movie ever out of okay. that, uh, is the, the, uh, 1990 version of the Ninja Turtles movie. Wow. Absolutely okay. loved that movie. I had to watch it every single night before I went to bed when I was like three years old. Loved, loved, loved it. Um, having an impact on me, I think probably one of the, I was a big Wizard of Oz fan, but probably when I saw Titanic and I saw it twice in the theater and with the exception of like, you know, obviously being in love with Leonardo DiCaprio, the movie <laughs> just kind of blew me away. It was probably the first like super visual effects heavy movie that I remember seeing that was just mm. like, it was just bigger than life, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Okay. I definitely have to say that. 
And it's funny that you mentioned uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I believe that was your guys' final project, wasn't it? It was. It was. That was so exciting to me, too, because... They, and I had never seen the, the Michael Bay remakes at the time either. And That's okay. That's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> our teacher, um, Matt, he made us watch the he – he actually played the 1990 version, right, in the theater and go. everything. And it was absolutely wonderful. I'm like, still stands up. Love the simplicity of the story. You know, the the turtles looked great. You know, all of it funny hilarious you know all of that and then he made us watch the 2014 one which i'm like okay i was actually glad that he made us watch it because i had refused to see it for so long and now i knew why i didn't want to see it you know Um, it just solidified the reasonings yeah Uh. i mean i i'm pretty picky there's not um it, a lot, all of the things that I thought that I wouldn't like about it, I actually didn't care about when I saw it. I thought the the turtles were funny and they were enjoyable. I I didn't really like um, much of the way that they portrayed them, like their their look and everything. But again, when I watched the film, that didn't bother me. Um, I think it was just like how big the story was that bothers me. I, yeah. I'm not really a like the whole world is gonna explode type of person, but you know. And all in all, it was fine. So, yeah, I was really excited to be able to watch those. And then, yeah, we did a shot-for-shot recreation of the uh, 1980s cartoon. So the cartoon intro. So, yeah, I mean, it was really cool. I had a blast working on it. And it was something I loved. It was the first thing I'd been able to work on that I loved so much, you know. So it was good, yeah. Definitely. And also, just a little fun side note for the listeners, this project that she's talking about, was actually seen by Kevin Eastman, and he actually uh-huh. like commented on it. Yes, he did. He Who is a yeah, I remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you don't know, but you should know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he said he enjoyed it, so you know that he thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was very exciting. I think they shared it on the website, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, so, that's insane. Yeah. It's so cool. Like, and that's in school. You know, and now uh-huh. you're working on big superhero movies again, you know, with you know, <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming. You're working on Ant-Man and, and the Wasp, I think most recently. So Yeah, I'm I I wasn't I, I yeah, I can I, put that on my MDB, but I can't I can't say anything nope, else. Nope, <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you to. Nope, then I totally understand that. So um but you are getting into the Marvel universe hardcore with your career, which is just terrific. Yeah, so. yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Well, it has been awesome having you on the show. I'm super glad that we were able to get you in and get you into on the schedule. Thanks so much for being thanks on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for asking me. It's been good catching up with you. All right, we are back from a slamming interview, and I think it's time to end the show with what to watch. I am going to be super short with mine, and I think you guys know where this is going. Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Go see it. Go see it. Don't tell me about it, okay? We talked about this on last week's episode. You go see the movie, okay? You do what you're supposed to do, which is go see Star Wars The Last Jedi. I feel like I have stock in this, like I'm invested. But no, just go see the film, but don't tell me about it. You can tweet me porgs after you've seen it to let me know that you've seen it. Tweet me porgs, at Zach Hamilton on Twitter. But if you tweet me anything other than a porg, if you throw a Jar Jar Binks at me, I'm not going to be okay with that, okay? I'm going to be upset. I'm going to blast your Twitter feed with nothing but porgs. Anyways, that's it. Star Wars The Last Jedi. Go see it. Go see it. Go see it. Go see it. Comes out on the 14th. Great. Technically. 
Sorry. So, <laughs> I will go see it. I want people to watch Coco, which is Pixar's new animated film. So if you haven't heard about it, it's about a young boy who, who loves music and his family is against him playing music. And that's all I'm really going to say uh, about the story. Against playing music, man. Music is amazing. Why, why right. you got to be against music? Damn. Well, you know, you got to go watch the movie. Okay. That's, I'm not, that's all I'm telling you. I just saw this movie today, actually. So I, I, I'm kind of still in that very excited, I just saw it phase. So I, you know, lot to say. I actually have a pretty weird story about it. I, I went to the movie theater this morning and I got there. Theater was supposed to open at 1030. I got there, I don't know, 1050. And there's a huge crowd of people waiting for the movie, waiting for just a movie. No one's, there's nobody there. All the workers, like all the staff of the movie theater, they're standing outside the front doors. No one's around, like, you know, inside the movie theater. Uh, turns out, I guess... Going? Okay, now I'm intrigued. The opening, the opening manager never showed up to actually open the theater. No, no, no one could get in. Everyone was just outside, <laughs> outside waiting. And Wait, okay, real quick. Did you say the movie started at 10.30 or the theater opened at 10.30? The theater opens at 10.30, but oh, okay. the, my, my movie was for 11.30, so I, okay, I was see, okay. <laughs> I thought you showed up 20 minutes late to this movie. You're so no. excited to see oh, like, No way, that? man. <laughs> no, I showed up like an hour early. Come on. Like, come okay, on. Okay, all right, gotcha. Uh, you no, know, no, all, real quick, though, yeah. I when you said that, I was 100%. I mean, we live in Vancouver, British Columbia. So it's a very big film-centric city. So when you said that there was a huge crowd, I just assumed that maybe there was like an actor or someone that happened to be walking by the theater and they were just crowded around them. And then it just turns out that someone's just neglecting their job duties, well, not they, showing up to work. They're we, singering we, it in is what they're doing. They're Brian singering it in, not showing up to work. Too soon? Oh, Too soon? You're, you're going <laughs> you're gonna to hate me for saying this, but we, we found out that the, the manager had gotten into a car accident that morning. Oh, Come on, Amanda, you gotta stop me sooner before I say these horrible things. Good I, God. I just wanted to let you go with it, man. I'm sorry. Man, uh, it's almost like you knew I would do something like this, and then you were just like waiting <laughs> to just drop that it. ball on me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, uh, long story <laughs> short, uh, they let us all into the movie for free. So. What? Yeah, that was exciting. For me. So you're telling me and the audience that the way to see movies for free is to find out where the opening manager lives and make sure they get into a car accident or don't get to work. That sounded a lot worse. Than, I'm not saying murder opening that managers of movie terrible. theaters, okay? I'm going to tell you that right now. I don't need the Secret Service or any other kind of FBI agency coming after me for making threats on the air. I'm not saying that. But if they maybe, you know, miss their alarm clock, for instance, and they don't show up, you might get to see Coco for free. Or Star Wars. Can you imagine that happened in Star Wars The Last Jedi? Oh, my God. I feel like that <laughs> they have to have some sort of backup plan for that. I thought they would today, at least would anyway. You? I, I just that seems like not something that would happen in general. I don't know if they would plan for something like that. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I, I think it happens. I think accidents happen all the time. But anyway, I'm going to get back to actually talking about Coco because yeah, I really Coco, I on, really enjoyed that movie. I think everyone should watch it. But I think we're the not going to spoil it, though. I'm not spoiling anything. OK, good. Go I go think the most important part of the movie is the Mexican culture that it brings along with it. So a lot of people were extremely hesitant to go see it because they thought, oh, my God, Pixar is doing this this you know, Mexican culture film, that doesn't make sense. It's like, 
a white man's industry and everyone was like sharpening up their pitchforks and everything. But, you know, it turns out that that this movie is actually very culturally relevant, even even done by, you know, uh, a studio in the U.S. Right. So, you know, which is great, but it actually turns out. So Coco is currently the highest grossing film of all time in Mexico. And everything I've read so far is that everybody loves it. They love the movie. They say that it'll bring you to tears. And this one, um, this one reviewer in particular, Vanessa Arazo, she said, it's a blissful hug of acceptance in a time when the very existence of Latinos in this country is criminalized, referring to the U.S., obviously. This film is, I, I think it is culturally important. And it actually does a very good job of portraying this culture. And, you know, Dia de los Muertos, which is Day of the Dead. So... Uh, I think it shows it very well. And, you know, I, I don't know a lot about this, about, you know, the holiday, I guess it is considered yeah, a holiday. holiday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know a ton about it, so I, I'm not really able to, you know, critique it in that sense. But from everything I've read, they did a really great job. Yeah. I mean, and speaking on to what you said about, like, you know, what everyone's reactions to it was, did they do a good job capturing that culture in a film? with a U.S. studio, you know, at the forefront of that. And it's funny because literally one of my really close friends, Carlos Barrios, who's also a visual effects artist I used to work with at MPC Vancouver, he, we were originally going to see it together. Unfortunately, I still haven't gotten around to seeing it. I'm seeing it Tuesday. But we were originally going to see it together. But when I asked him if he wanted to see it, he goes, do you want to see a grown man cry? You want to see man tears? And I'm like, whoa, man, is it that? Is that an, is it an emotional film? He's like, look, man, I've already seen the trailer. And if the movie is half as accurate as that trailer, I'm going to be super upset. And for those who don't know, Carlos Barrios is from Mexico. And he was genuinely concerned. And he ultimately saw it. And I was told and informed that he definitely did cry big old man tears from his girlfriend, Nova. Uh, but he said it was like really hard for him to watch it. Like he watched it and obviously it's an emotional film in general. It just made him insanely homesick really? because they nailed it that well that he was homesick because of this film. You know, that's, so that speaks anything to the authenticity of the film. That's amazing. That's really great. Well, that's episode two of the Film Revered podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed it. We have some end of the show updates. So stay tuned here for the following. You can now find the FR podcast on the following podcast apps or stores iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Castbox, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, Pocket Cast, Mixcloud, or on our site at filmrevered.com. If you enjoy the show and would like to show your support, leave a like on our Facebook page at Film Revered or follow us on Twitter also at Film Revered. Next week's guest will be the always amazing Anne Scotland. We will be telling everyone more about her and the episode later in the week. Thanks again from all of us at Film Revered. Have a great week.